This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. The podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we talk about clubs in pause and how it's hampered their abilities to get a season going and recruit players. First of all, from the United States of America, we'll be catching up with Aileen Yoon of the Orange County Giants and then of the Darabin Falcons in the VFLW, we'll be catching up with their new head coach, Mitch Scully. That's all on the way, but first, the latest women's footy news. First, we turn our attention to AFLW and AFL headquarters has published a list of a 40-person squad for All-Australian selection. The eventual 21, including captain and vice-captain, will be announced when the W Awards take place. The All-Australian squad members include from the Adelaide Crows, Sarah Allen, Ann Hatchard and Ebony Marinoff. For the Brisbane Lions, Kate Lutkins, Emily Bates, Jesse Wardlaw and Sophie Conway. From Carlton, Karen Harrington, Maddie Presparkas, Taylor Harris and Georgia G. From Collingwood, Shani Layton, Jamie Lampert, Stacey Livingston, Britt Benici and Bree Davey. From Fremantle, Kiara Bowers, Gemma Horton, Sabrina Duffy and Ebony Antonio. From the Cats, Olivia Purcell. From the Giants, Elise Parker and Al Bennett. From the Gold Coast Suns, Jamie Stanton, Kalinda Howarth and Jay Brigelli. From Melbourne, Karen Paxman, Libby Birch, Daisy Pierce and Kate Hoare. From the Kangaroos, Emma Carney, Jasmine Garner, Ash Riddle and Jenna Brutton. From Richmond, Monique Conti. From St. Kilda, Georgia Patrikios and Caitlin Greiser. From the West Coast Eagles, Dana Hooker. And from the Western Bulldogs, Ellie Blackburn and Isabel Huntington. Off the back of the announcement of the 40-player squad, the AFLW All-Australian Selection Panel has come under criticism for featuring no members based outside of Victoria. The W Awards were slated to go ahead on April 21st. They will proceed at a date to be confirmed and will be a virtual event. Obviously with no attendees due to the Stage 3 restrictions around coronavirus currently underway in the state of Victoria. When the virtual W Awards take place, they will have the AFL Women's Best and Fairest presented along with the NAB AFL Women's Rising Star, leading goal kicker, mark of the year, goal of the year and the 21-player All-Australian team, including captain and vice-captain and coach to be announced. Overseas and in AFL Canada, the Calgary Kookaburras have confirmed that the Spring Cup, Kootenay Cup and Banff Tournament will not be taking place due to the current COVID-19 situation. And that's your latest women's footy news. And joining us now here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, calling in all the way from California at the moment, where they're similar to us here in Melbourne, Australia, with the stay-at-home orders. Making things a little bit difficult when it comes to recruitment, and we'll talk about that in a moment's time. The new head of women's football for the Orange County Giants. It's great to have on the line Aileen Yoon. Aileen, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad at all, all things considered, with uh, no footy, no sports on at the moment. Um, how's life at the moment in California in, I guess, the state of pseudo-lockdown? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're hanging in there and trying to make the most of everything. And uh, I've just been trying to 
stay positive in, in spite of all the news. So um, luckily still get to work from home and definitely consider that a blessing. Um, you know, the, the freedom girls, um, the USAFL freedom girls and I are staying close, doing workouts virtually together, sharing them, um, still staying connected. So I think we're, we're all finding ways to keep in touch, which is nice. I'll talk about that uh, just a moment before we talk about all things Orange County and the side that you used to play for beforehand, uh, Los Angeles. Um, how is everyone's mental health at this stage, considering I'm guessing everyone was so amped up as we headed into March because the season was so close to starting and everyone was going to play their run of games and counting down to regionals. Some were counting down to the Freedom Camp, IC, and then, of course, the Nationals. How is everyone now in this state of pause? Yeah, it's... It- I think it's it's definitely been tough and we're all just trying to uh, lift our spirits and, and keep each other going. Um, I think everyone that I've talked to, like on the Giants and on the Freedom, we're all trying to stay positive in terms of um, hopefully the, the season keeps going um, eventually. And um, like I said, we're, we're still staying connected, which is nice in terms of virtually, you know, doing hangouts and working out together and things like that. So, um Obviously, in terms of like the IC and everything, we're all really bummed that it's gotten pushed to next year. But I think for the sake of of health and safety, we all think that's the right move and and are definitely um, on board with that decision. Let's rewind back the clock a little bit to 2017 when we last spoke to you. Uh, The Los Angeles Dragons women's side uh, was formed. You were then involved with the LA club. Um, You sprung up, I guess, in the end to, I think, nine players participating in nationals. Can you talk about those um, early years about recruitment and and trying to build a women's side in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean... That first year was definitely, it was, it was awesome. You know, that was when nationals was in San Diego, which was just uh, a few hours drive from Los Angeles. And um, there were a lot of people who were willing to jump on board with the recruitment and development of the team, which, um, which was crucial in terms of, of recruiting. Um, I think for in my, in my eyes, nine women at the time were, was a big success, especially out here. Um, and especially in LA where, um, everyone lives pretty far apart. The traffic is horrible. You know, everyone has lives and to get that many girls to a brand new sport, um, was, was pretty incredible. Um, I definitely think that, you know, in the early stages, having, um, people like, uh, Bonesy, who was our old coach, um, and everything, unfortunately he moved back to Australia, but, um, having someone. Uh, who was centered on women's development was was amazing and was crucial in terms of um, bringing people together, bringing women together and getting them excited about the sport. So I'm hoping that, that we can replicate something similar this year. Of course, after the San Diego tournament, it was hard probably to get players to convince them to go to racing Wisconsin, which was rather cold, and then <laughs> obviously go across then to the other side of the country to play in uh, Florida, which we did in 2019. Um, the numbers seem to stall a little bit and even go a little bit backwards for Los Angeles um, in 2018 and 2019. Can you, can you talk about how hard that 
recruitment process was. And and in a way, were you surprised by perhaps the lack of Australians that jumped on board? We obviously see quite a number of Australians join the New York Magpies because it's that type of city, New York City. Los Angeles is the second mm-hmm. most popular city, and we know a few Aussies go there to chase the Hollywood dream. Um, were you surprised by the, unable to get the amount of Aussies into your side to, to boost up the numbers? Yeah, yeah. I actually was really surprised when we were first starting out. Um, you know, we had reached out to like the, the Aussie groups on Facebook to try and get them out. Um, we did get a couple women, but, um, I think the, the, the issue we ran into with the commitment was, um, location. Like I mentioned, um, our central location for the dragons overall was in Santa Monica, which is on the west side of Los Angeles. And, you know, there's people coming from the east side, from the valley, um, and sometimes that can take like two hours in traffic to make it to trainings, which is, is hard. Um, and then there were other uh, Australian women who, you know, they just couldn't commit because of work and, and time commitments and things like that. So that was a little bit um, unfortunate for us. And so we tried to make do and we really kind of shifted to, to try and find women who wanted to play a sport didn't matter what their background was in terms of um, athletics and someone who just wanted to be a part of a team and a community and, and weren't afraid to try a new sport such as, as uh, Australian football. So um, I think that definitely was, was still hard. We did get a few girls and we try to focus on, on the ones that, you know, that we knew would stick around for the long term. And um, I think that's kind of why the, the numbers stalled a little bit, but um I think we were we did a good job of hopefully developing uh, the love of the game. There are a few women who um, had like one actually moved to the Magpies, um, another um, recently joined the the newly formed Centennial Tigers because she moved out to Denver, and so um, those things definitely still in in my book is is considered a, a, a tiny bit of success in terms of just growing the sport overall. Let's talk about Orange County and your move there. Let's first of all talk about the history of Orange County because originally, at least for the men's side, they were known as the Orange County Bombers. Then sadly, for a Bomber supporter like myself, they were renamed in 2018 to the Orange County Giants. We should mention they were actually one of the original women's sides as well in the USAFL going back more than a decade with the um, Orange County Bombshells. Uh, Obviously, they disbanded. Now you're looking to start things again. So why the move for you for you personally, first of all, from Los Angeles to the Orange County Club? Oh, yeah. So I was actually in Orange County for a bit. Um, when I first started the, the Dragons, I was living in Orange County at the time. And um, the reason we decided to, you know, uh, start this team with the Dragons um, at first was um, I had formed the club with uh, a few other women, Leilani, Silvio, Laren Sullivan, and they were located in L.A. Um, and my my boyfriend uh, was also playing for the Dragons at the time. So for us, that made the most sense, even though I was in Orange County. Um, and just as time went on, it got harder and harder for me to, uh, to make it out to training. Um, I made the... Uh, the freedom training squad and uh, I was named to the emergency list and um, trying to, to get touches on the footy um, aside from just with my boyfriend, it was, it was getting harder since we lived so far. Um, and so 
um, after the the Orange County team had uh, transitioned into uh, being rebranded as the Giants, um, they started to reach out uh with interest in building a women's club. Um, and at first it was just like, Hey, like we're neighbors, let's work together to build this club. And, um, as, as the more I thought about it, um, I, I made the tough decision to ultimately, um, jump on board, help this team build the club. And then also, um, you know, uh, try and try and use this opportunity to help me develop personally as well. Let's talk, pre-coronavirus happening. So you've been appointed as head of women's football at the Orange County Giants to essentially grow the women's game there. Can you talk about then what were the original plans in place for reach out and to try and grow those numbers to... It was going to be a task anyway to try and get 18 for a full side, but at least for a respectable number to join a combined team at Nationals and Western Regionals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my goal was to build at least a, a uh, majority Orange County combined team, um, you know, so we can go out there, represent as a new club, wear our jumpers and um, get out, especially with Nationals being so close this year to us. Um, it's only about 30 minutes away on a good day with no traffic. Um, so we had a, a lot of plans in place as a board. Um, first being, you know, uh, utilizing and leveraging the, the AFL women's season, um, to try and get some some interested women who are close to the club and, and knew about the sport, um, try and get them in the door, introduce them to, to the sport, and then hopefully build from there. Um, I started getting pretty involved with um, some local um, uh, soccer organizations out here, just playing casually. And, and there's a lot of women who you can tell are competitive, want to to play on a team sport. Um, and so the goal was to also try and get some of those women to, to learn more about the sport. Um, we had intended to do a big kickoff uh, coinciding with the AFLW grand final and, um, you know, show the grand final, have a big party, throw, uh, have people come out and um, join us. Um, and then from there, you know, do clinics and things like that focused on, women's development so that they can really um, get their hands on the footy and and understand the sport and and uh, get a feeling for the the culture of the team um, you know obviously all that has shifted and um, it's a bit stalled because you know my hesitation is is doing outreach and, and recruiting um, virtually and uh, you know things still being at this state for the next few months and um, and, and losing interest. So uh, we're on a little bit of a pause there, but uh, definitely have intentions to do women's focused clinics and um, uh, events once we are able to, to go out again and, um, and start training again. We'll pick up on that recruitment post coronavirus in a moment, but uh, talking again pre coronavirus, what was the reach out like to, and, and is there in Orange County uh, clubs to lean on to try and get players from? And I talk like Gaelic football, rugby, for example, and we've even heard, for example, in Portland than in Texas, them trying to recruit players out of roller derby. Yeah. Um, that that's always been the intention. Uh, we had when I was with the Dragons, we had linked up with the the local uh, Gaelic football team 
um, and tried to get some of them interested. Uh, I think the hesitation there was because L.A. was so far. Orange County didn't have a team and things like that. Um, So maybe if, you know, knowing that this team would be closer to them, they would show some interest. Um, So that was one thing. Um, Before I actually set anything in motion, um, there were a few uh, original Dragons players um, who didn't play with us in 2018 and 2019, you know, due to other reasons. Um, but they were actually interested in coming over to the Giants um, because of location. They were closer to OC and um, and they had only gone to play with the Dragons because um, they were the closest thing. And um, these women had known about the sport already. One is an Aussie. She's from Melbourne. Um and uh, the other had studied abroad in, in Melbourne and uh, picked up the sport, brought it back, um, taught her partner about it. And so um, luckily they're very interested and, and on board. And um, I've also had great support from the OC Giants board members. They've been pushing and um, trying to spread the word about the women's team. Um, and we had actually gotten an inquiry from um, a woman who – um, I believe she's from uh, Queensland and played out there and um, had re- had just recently moved to Orange County and was, was keen to, to play with us. And unfortunately, we didn't have any trainings at the time. Um, and so we had planned our first training um, and they were all going to come out and then coronavirus hit. So unfortunately, we weren't able to get together. But we have a, a, a small team already for me. We'll have more of our conversation with Aileen Yoon of the Orange County Giants coming up right after this. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile, sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile sweet kicks football not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball need to develop your footwork or explosive speed want to take the next step in your footy career then you need sweet kicks more info on our facebook page or go to our website sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with Aileen Yoon, the head of women's football at the Orange County Giants in California in the United States of America. Now let's talk about the coronavirus hitting Aileen and how that's had an effect on recruitment. I believe training was almost ready to get underway. So the players that you did have at least semi-interested in joining your side, how do you keep them interested and and still wanting to play the game while they're in isolation and obviously can't do anything about playing Aussie rules while they're staying at home and obviously can be distracted by other things and perhaps their enthusiasm even wanes a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, the the board has been trying to keep the team connected, um, you know, so that we can uh, keep everyone you know, top of mind with footy and, and things like that. So um, we had already set up like Zoom happy hours and uh, and Zoom workouts um, and things like that. So 
um, that's one thing that we're trying to see in touch, um, trying to do to stay in touch. And um, I definitely am trying to do some things that are women's focused, but also trying to be, uh, I definitely want to, you know, lean on utilizing um, the club overall and um, integrating the women into the, the overall club. I think um, the approach that I took last time was to, you know, keep things separate for a bit and then eventually integrate the women into the organization. Um, and that was tough. Um, it was definitely hard to do, you know, after waiting a bit and, and you could tell there was a, a there was a bit of a, um, a divide, like, just like, un, like it's a, a natural divide in terms of like, um, you know, they didn't, some of the women didn't feel fully integrated into the club and things like that. So we're trying to do things as a, as a, an overall club. Um, so that new women who are coming into this can see that, you know, we're all one team, men, women, uh, and we're trying to um, build this camaraderie within each other. I guess the question is, while we're all in this kind of lockdown mode, is how do you try to recruit virtually? We, we know a couple of weeks ago we had that small little gold mine for football when uh, the AFL men's uh, was shown on Fox Sports 1, which 80% of American homes had. And all of a sudden, online, you see all these comments by about Americans of, oh, my God, it's Aussie rules on the TV. Even though, to be fair, it used to be also on Fox Sports 2 and Fox Soccer Plus, the channel that hosts the AFLW as well. Um, there was all this hype around it for two days. Obviously, then this league got shut down. How do you try and capitalise on that buzz and get recruitment happening when obviously you can't go out face-to-face to meet people, you can't get them to training, you, more importantly, you can't get a ball in their hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're, we're trying to still brainstorm that as well. Um, and from my experience, at least with the women that I've recruited, you know, getting the ball in the hands and getting them, throwing them into their first game, that's what really gets people hooked. Um, And I think uh, even on the men's side, it's pretty similar. So we're all kind of struggling in terms of trying to figure out how to recruit um, and, and how to do that, that virtually, Um, you know, just keeping in touch. And there's already a large network of, um, of men's players uh, within the OC group. And um, they're all keen to, to share the sport with their, um, their lady friends and things like that. So using our internal networks, I'm trying to exhaust that right now and keep them involved and um, send them videos, things like that. And in terms of, of uh, outside of our network in, in recruiting, we're definitely trying to brainstorm that and see what we can do Uh, with the limited resources that we have. As we said, this year is meant to be the USAFL Nationals in Ontario, California, not to be confused with Ontario up in Canada. In your backyard, half-hour drive away, um, that's meant to be a big boom for you because obviously if uh, if uh, uh, players were regularly playing with your side, they don't have to travel far from the Nationals, they just have to jump in the car. We saw how much of a boon it was for the Dragons when it was held in San Diego. Um, how much could it hurt if if the Nationals don't go ahead this year and we don't know what will happen in 2021, if they'll hold it again there to make it up or if the rotation will continue and will go out to somewhere in the central regionals. Uh, how do you, how do you work around that? 
Yeah, I, I definitely do think that it would be a blow for us if uh, Nationals isn't in uh, in California even this year or even next year. Uh, I think we, you know, let's say the situation unfortunately goes on and Nationals doesn't go on as we had planned it. I think if it can still be in California next year, we could make it work. You know, it just gives us extra time to recruit and, and perhaps could work in our favor. Um, but I definitely do think that if it were to move somewhere else um, next year and if, if it were to be canceled this year, it would definitely be hard for us. Um, as I mentioned, and, and you know this as well, um, the travel does, um, you know, hurt some of our, our recruitment efforts because not everyone is able to take the time off or, um, you know, have the budget to do those things. And um, luckily, like, uh, the, the Giants, um, the OC Giants and I, were still, like, working on plans for um, to help with, with financial for our team members should they need it and um, coming up with those situations um, if that is the case. But, you know, in terms of a brand new team, that that'll definitely be hard and attracting new talent. So I'm still holding out and keeping my fingers crossed for um, having the the Nationals in California this year or or next if if this this year ends up being a bust. You mentioned a very good point and financials, and it's not exactly cheap to play in the USAFL. I'm not talking about subs, which are fairly cheap, but the travel costs, considering it's not like here in Melbourne where it's suburban teams and all it's really going to cost you is a a tank of petrol at the worst. Um, (laughs) Obviously, you've got to fly to other cities to take on teams and then you've got to fly to regional tournaments. And like we said, the Nationals are due to be in your backyard, which makes it a bit easier. But obviously, like last year, if they're Florida, you've got to fly to the other side of the country. Then you obviously got to stay in the league hotels, which are not exactly cheap. Um, Can you give us a rough idea of, of... a, how much it costs to play on, for the average player when you count all those things over a year, and B, what effect could that again have on recruitment in the fact of, as we see here in Melbourne, Australia, with restaurants and bars and everything closed down, a lot of people have lost their jobs or, or been on reduced hours, and uh, all of a sudden a lot of people are finding it hard to rub two cents together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and that definitely does... Uh, play a part especially this year if nationals were to go on um, I can imagine how it might impact a lot of the players across the states Um, I would say if we're considering an entire season all the different travel games that we plan um, as an individual club as well as regionals plus nationals um, like we're looking at a couple thousand dollars uh, to, to play in a season and that of course includes flights and hotels and um, cars or Ubers if, if we don't decide to, to rent cars and things like that and um, just the costs of, of being out and um, uh, what is it eating out things like that it, it all definitely adds up so that definitely plays a part in terms of, of recruitment and um, so we really try and look for players who you know are open and eager to meet new people, travel the, the states and um, and have and enjoy those opportunities. But it is definitely going to be a, a blow this year, I think, uh, regardless of the outcome. And, um, and and like I had mentioned, I think a lot of clubs now are uh, 
focusing some of their fundraising efforts into um, finding ways to provide subsidies for players should they need it and um, finding ways to, to make that fair. And because, you know, at the end of the day, everyone in the USASL, our goal is to grow the game and um, make sure that everyone can feel included in the sport. As you uh, mentioned, uh, Uber not being cheap, I can uh, vouch for that being at last year's USAFL Nationals. Uh, from my hotel to where the after party was held, it was about a $20 Uber. But considering there's about like a 1,000 American and Aussies all in the one spot having a party, the Uber surcharge went up to something like $180 for those wanting to get back to their hotels. Oh, no. So I can tell you, it ain't cheap if you're using an Uber. Let's look at something yep. a, a, a little bit more positive. Of course, the reason why um, Orange County rebranded from the Bombers to the Giants was to form closer relationships and ties with the GWS Giants. Of course, on the men's side of things, are looking to possibly host a game in California. Everyone was hoping for 2021. That would certainly be pushed back considering of the economic effects of the coronavirus. But again, turning to a more positive stance, we know the closer relationship on the men's side. What are you hoping for on the women's side to try and achieve with close bonds with the GWS Giants? Yeah. Um, so we've already had conversations um, as a board and our president is uh, constantly in communication with the GWS Giants and um, they are in full support. Their women's team is in support of, of us building a women's team, which um, that also is what made me really excited to, to come over to the Orange County Giants. Um you know, there's been talks of potentially having some of the GWS women come out here once we, we get a core group going um, so that they can help with development and things like that. And that was a, a, an ideal goal this year, pre-coronavirus, before any of that even became a concern for us. Um, but I think I'm hoping that, you know, with continued conversations, that that is still an opportunity that we can bank on either you know later this year or um even if it's it's closer to nationals um i i understand that you know especially for the the women in the aflw it can be hard because after their season they they have jobs um you know and things like that and and they're not this isn't a full-time thing for them which hopefully i i i hope that it can but um you know i was excited to hear that the GWS Giants were excited for a women's team and willing to, um, you know, do what they can in terms of, uh, you know, support from the, the women's players um, or trying to find ways to for us to um, come up with new kits or things like that so that, you know, we can represent the organization as well. Surely part of your pitch to the GWS Giants women's players to come out is we're Orange County, home of Disneyland. <laughs> yep, yep. That's what I always tell people when they're when they're coming out. You know, we have beautiful beaches. We have Disneyland. Um, if you really want to go to LA, it's on a weekend or an off hour. It's it's a short drive, um, so it, it's definitely a, a draw for tourists to come out here. Now, Aileen, before we let you go, if anyone's listening that have got some friends, American or Australian, that are based out in Los Angeles, Orange County, or a little bit further south in San Diego, where can they find out more about the Orange County Giants? The club overall is is on Facebook, Instagram, and um, online. So 
Um, they can look up Orange County Giants Australian Rules Football Club on Facebook um, or uh, go to ocgiants.com or on Instagram, it's ocgiants. And there, people can find out more and hopefully sign up with the Orange County Giants and try and get their women's team up and off the ground. Aileen, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best over the coming weeks as uh, you sit out this isolation. And fingers crossed we're back out in the park and playing footy again soon. Thanks, Peter. Stay safe. Don't touch that dial. Coming up after the break, we'll catch up with the head coach of the Darabin Falcons in the VFLW, Mitch Skelly. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time to now catch up with the new head coach of the Darabin Falcons. He's a familiar voice to those that have been listening to the podcast over the years. Up until 2018, he was our reporter on the AFL London Women's Competition because he was head coach of the Wandsworth Demons. In 2019, he moved back to Melbourne and was coach of the Heidelberg Tigers in Division 2 of the Northern Football Netball League. And as I mentioned, he is now head coach of the Darabin Falcons in the VFL Women's Competition. It is great to have back on the line Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Pete. Great to be chatting again. Uh, just wish we had some footy to be talking about. Very, very surreal times indeed. But let's rewind the clock back first. Um, when we last spoke to you, you were in London getting ready to come home to Melbourne. Let's talk about just quickly your gear at the Heidelberg Tigers. How did you uh, land that uh, gig at Heidelberg? Yeah, I um, obviously got back to Melbourne, I think, in November 2018 and was sort of looking for some for a coaching role again because obviously I wanted to continue doing and um, yeah, I thought Highway was advertising and having grown up uh, in that uh, Northern League, playing footy for Lower Plenty and Eltham, uh, I knew Highway was a really good club and sent my application in and yeah, got the, got the role there to coach the Norwell women's team, which was awesome. Um, you know, we got we had a really good mix of players. We had some daughters of uh, club legends and some girls that had come through juniors and then just a bunch of people that came in off the street and we had a really enjoyable season last year, yeah. Managing to make it through to the grand final, and I guess you're in the best position immediately after coaching in London to compare standards. Um, in your point of view, how did the AFL London Premiership Division compare against Division Two of the NFL? Uh, it's pretty hard to compare. I think looking at the team I was coaching last year at Heidelberg, there was a lot of girls playing their first season of footy. Whereas by the end of my R uh, period. With the demons, we had quite a few that had played for you know two or three seasons. So I'd say the the top couple of teams in London when I was there were probably would probably have beaten Heidelberg last year in Div Two, but I'd say they probably would have struggled up in the Div One competition. But yeah, like the London league is really competitive. Um, yeah, I think that it's testament to to the great work people do over in Europe, considering the resources and you know people coming and going all the time. Yeah. 
We'll talk in a moment about Darabin, but you're really doing that full circle with the coaching. You're talking about Wandsworth, where you build up the players over a number of years, to going to Heidelberg, where everything is at scratch, to then obviously Darabin to an elite program. How much does that test your patience as a coach when you're kicking off an inaugural year at a club, when obviously you have to take things a little bit more slowly with skills and game plan? Yeah, um, I guess like going into Heidelberg, I wasn't really sure what to expect because it was a, a new team. And obviously I knew there was a few girls who had played footy before. But yeah, we really did have to strip it back and work work a lot on, I guess, skills and fundamentals and everything. You know, a lot of how to play the game, just, you know, game plans, real, real basic stuff. Um, but at the same time, try to make it engaging and fun and an environment where people are constantly learning. Um, and yeah, we had a really, just a really good group. Like everyone was really supportive of one another. We had, we have a couple of girls that have probably got the ability to be playing at a VFL level. And then others that were literally had never kicked a footy before the season. They all just rallied around each other and helped each other through it. And obviously, yeah, we had a pretty successful year considering. And how was the setup when it came to, I guess, feeding through to the women's side? Um, what had you set up in the respect of tying into junior girls football, youth girls football? Uh, you know, at Heidelberg, obviously, they had a junior program for a couple of years uh, for girls. And I think girls five or six, perhaps, that were coming through that year or seven, maybe. And that's why they decided to pull the trigger on a senior women's team. Uh, we tried to link in as, as much as possible, so we have it. We had a couple of joint training sessions, and you know, we we had uh, our senior women's team play one or two games directly after the the youth girls, the under eighteen girls, which was awesome because obviously we wanted to treat it in a similar way to like you would with the boys, where you have the under nineteen leading to the reserves, um, where we had the chance. We tried to do that with the with the women's program as well, so that that worked really well. But obviously. Um, Tardies and I think Holbrook Junior Women were playing in the Yarra Valley League and the seniors was NFNL. So it's kind of getting two competitions to work together there. But yeah, that was that was something we tried to do as much as possible. And I think hopefully that pays dividends for the club in the long term. Let's talk about the move to the Darabin Falcons. Michael Erickson uh, left the club after just one season. What led you down the road to joining uh, the most successful women's club? currently in the VFLW? Uh, well, when I came back, an ambition of mine was to coach football at that level at some point. Um, so obviously, you know, I've done my, done some of my coaching courses and done as much personal development as I could and saw the position advertised. Um, yeah, I, I knew some people at Darabin knew a lot about the culture there and you know, obviously it's, a, it's kind of a community club that's competing at that, that sort of almost the next, next to highest level. Um, so yeah, saw the role advertised as you do, send in your application, have a few chats, have a few meetings, a couple of interviews and there we are now, obviously with the role, but yeah, it was something, something that I'd aspired to, um, sort of, I guess, work towards over a few years and was lucky enough to be appointed into the role. Can you talk us through that interview process? What were the Falcons picking your brains about? What did they want to know? No, obviously the, the club, I guess is very strong in its values, obviously wanting to empower women and, um, you know, be, be really, I guess, a pillar of the community. Obviously, the Darabin, um, local council obviously supports the club in ways and we try and support the local community. So, um, I guess 
I guess a lot of it was matching just finding a coach who values match that of the club. Uh, and I think, yeah, through those conversations, we probably came to the conclusion that, yeah, while well, I want to get out of football and what the club want to get out of football are pretty similar. So I think, it, yeah, it's a, hopefully we'll be a good partnership if we ever get to play some footy. Despite obviously being one in a different era, is it still intimidating to walk into that role, seeing on the wall Peter Searle coached five flags in a row and then you had the Richard dolpos jane Lang combination to another five years in a row? Yeah, I think uh, some of the names that have been there before and some of the players that have been there in recent history, and I look at myself coming from Div 2 Northern League, it is a pretty big step up. But I guess everybody at the club is just really supportive. Everybody's... Once, once you're there, everyone makes you feel welcome. And you know, the week I took the role, I remember someone saying, "Once you've joined the Falcons, you never want to leave." And they, everyone makes you feel like that. Um, just an awesome environment. And you see that with, you know, you see the AFLW girls that have come back and play at Darwin over the years. I think once you've been bitten by the bug, it's very hard to let. Well, it doesn't want to let you go by the sounds of it. One thing I heard from uh, the inside word is you, you came in with a slightly different philosophy to Michael in the aspects of training. Uh, Michael had it where, in case the VFLW was training away separately from the Division One, Division Two NFL sides. Um, from what I'm hearing, you, you were more inclined to, at least early for preseason, was to intertwine the uh, squads. Yeah, as much as possible, we did. I guess. Um Twofold. Well, one is the fact that we've only got one ground and we had you know, VFLW and the Div 1 and Div 2 Northern League teams training there together. But two is, I think the reason that Darwin is a strong club is because you've got that community and if you're part of the footy club, you're part of something bigger than just football. And I think wanting to get everyone on the same page, whether you're playing Div 2 or VFL, um, just, yeah, we're working towards the same sort of goals. You know, we want to play footy the same way, it doesn't matter which team you're in. Um, and just and make football training as fun as possible. I think that's, yeah, my part of my coaching philosophy is it doesn't really matter what level you play footy. It should be fun and it should be enjoyable. At the same time, you know, when we had to, we had the girls working and we had a really good strength and conditioning program that our um, S&T coach Todd Kenny put in for the season. So, yeah, it was we did try and make it fun and in- inclusive. At the same time, we would also split off most nights as well and do something separately. There had been a big turnover of players at uh, Darabin, most notably uh, most of the AFLW players, simply because uh, their contracted AFLW clubs expressed an interest that they wanted those players to play for their VFLW affiliates or reserves. Um, you did have a handful stay, for example, last year, such as Lauren Pierce, who ended up winning the Hambit, uh, Lambert Pierce medal. Um, obviously, Aliso Day stayed, and Lauren Arnell came back after a brief uh, half season or so at uh, the Southern Saints. What's it been like trying to, A, retain those players, but B, trying to use your network since you've come back to Melbourne to bring in new recruits? Yeah, well, I guess, first of all, in regards to those girls that are playing um, AFLW level, there's a few others, um, Jamie Stanton as well, we got drafted, and a couple of others. Um, I top of my head, I can't remember who we got now, because it feels like weeks ago we've even had these conversations. But we've obviously been keeping in touch with all of these girls over the summer and, and a lot of them are keen to play for Darabin obviously it's as you say it's a matter of working out with their clubs as well um, you know they've got contracts and they've got you know they've got to manage their load and that sort of thing so it's obviously it's a balancing act I think 
we we want we want these players. We want to you know get a few AFLW players. At the same time, we don't want to stack our team with AFLW girls. We want to be a club that develops and and looks to the future as well. Um, so obviously, yeah. Well, I think we had some pretty promising conversations, and I think you would have seen a pretty similar um, sort of number to the previous season playing for Darwin this year. And hopefully, that's the case if we get the season up and running. Uh, in terms of I guess spreading the net a bit wider, you know, obviously I have had a few contacts myself at, um, in the NFNL, so I invited a couple from Heidelberg and some, some opposition players that we'd played against and gave them the opportunity to come train with us. And then I think obviously Darren has a really, I guess, uh, a good, good name out in the community. So people would just, even off social media or through word of mouth, come down and train with the club. Um, and we had a couple that, Probably your three, four, five that have come from other VFLW clubs who are aligned with the AFLW team looking for more opportunities, especially with uh, some of the changes that were into place for the 2019 season. So, as you probably know, when the when the aligned teams are playing now, there's there's less cap on the number of AFLW listed players can play. So I think you know some of the maybe more savvier players that have seen that opportunity have thought the best place for them would be. A non-aligned club, so I think we've had a few walks in the door that will give us a bit of uh, depth there. So that sort of you know changing the way the list is structured. Yeah, let's talk about the recruitment and the pitch that you make to the players to come play for Darabin. The obvious one is that um, if they want to not play for an AFLW aligned club because a club that's got a side with more spots available week after week. There's essentially four clubs that they're looking at. Weemstown to a degree, which has a partial alignment with Adelaide, and of course Essendon and Hawthorne, which are only VFLW sides. But then I guess there's the other equation where for example, Hawthorne and Essendon are AFL clubs and they have all those facilities around them. Weemstown, despite being only a VFL men's club at their highest um, uh, point, uh, a pokies club and they've got a lot of money. Darabin doesn't. Um, how do you make that pitch when a player is considering a number of clubs of where they're going to go to for 2020? What do you sit down and try to explain to them? Well, it's, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I think that's where we've got to just, we've just got to back ourselves and back our strengths. And we've talked a little bit about them before and that is that, I guess, yeah, we're a, women, we're a women's only sporting club. If you play for if you play VFLW at the Falcons, you are number one. Um, you are number one. You're an elite program. Whereas if you're playing at, you know, Hawthorne or Essendon, um, you might get a nice track suit, but you're still probably the third team in the pickings there for, for how things are ranked at their clubs. Now, yeah, everyone's got their own reasons for wanting to play and um, play at different organisations. But I think the people that come and play for Darabin, they can see what the club's all about. They can see that, you know, we are a community. You're really part of something big. There's a lot of history. Um, and everyone that walks in the door feels welcome. Like we said before, we're a really positive and open and um, engaging group of coaches. So I think everyone that's come down and taken part in a session things generally pretty keen to come back and, and give it a crack, yeah. How hard is it also to formulate a, a list going into what was going to be May 9 uh, to start a season while also on one hand, you've kind of got an eye on the AFLW lists because come May, 
a number of players will get delisted, have to be delisted uh, on those uh, lists. And of course, when those players uh, become delisted, they may not necessarily want to stay at their AFLW club in the VFLW. They want to go elsewhere. And again, Darabin is one of those options for a, a second chance. How hard is it to have that list and then so close to the start of the season go, okay, we might be able to pick up a, a couple of gun players who shouldn't have been delisted, but have been delisted. Yeah, that is a really tough one. I think obviously that's been a learning curve for me, obviously um, not being not being exposed to that previously. But uh, I think what we tried to do was look at the list and go, well, we've got 35 spots available on the sort of senior VFLW list. So how many do we foresee would be you know, currently training with us throughout summer and how many would be either current AFL W or or perhaps the listed players or players looking to you know re- reignite that AFLW career. So I think we kind of loosely aim to have you know twenty from who we had training with us, maybe a little bit more, and then perhaps fifteen that were either delisted or currently AFLW listed. And that was kind of a rough idea. I and mean, then obviously if, you know if, if that didn't if that number wasn't fifteen, it was down to ten because we've got such a strong community club and some really good quality players that just want to play for Darabin. I think we, we, we felt confident we would have the depth to select from um, and, and there were players that should they not have played VFLW or been on the list this year, they still wanted to remain at Darabin and play NFNL Div 1 and we could then, you know, not knowing that we could then work with them and let them or give them opportunities to train with VFLW. So obviously having that, I guess, be the club is something we try to use to our advantage. Um, so that. I guess that was the, the strategy. Um, I'm sure all clubs are doing something similar. You're trying to build the core of a list and then leaving a certain amount of, I guess, spots vacant for when, when those decisions are made. Prior to, obviously, coronavirus happening and the situation changing things rapidly, um, uh, what were your conversations like um, with the Northern Knights, knowing, as we saw last year, a number of players would feed through from the Northern Knights, the Darren Falcons, and some would go on to be drafted? Yeah, well, that, that's a big part of it, isn't it? If you, if you can get the best talent out of the under-18s program, then some of those girls will slot straight into VFLW and they, they can be some of your better players now. Obviously, there's also restrictions on when you can start those conversations with players. Um, I can't remember what the date is. I think it's the end of March. Um, but that was something we were probably leaving a little bit more in the hands of our list manager and our development coach, Matt Poltney. So, Matt... He had coached the uh, Darren Falcons under-18s to a premiership last year. And his uh, daughter's in the elite talent pathway as well. I think she's still under 16. But he's got a really good aware or grasp of, of the talent coming through, especially in the northern region, having coached and been involved with the junior girls footy for some time. So I know he was really excited about um, some of the girls coming through this year. And from, from what he reckons, there's about 10 at the night that could probably play the FLW this year so we'll see what happens obviously with the season and who, who we may end up which are coming through our doors but yeah that, that's that's something really exciting to know that there's such good talent in our region and our in our zone out here in the north so yeah exciting for the future and I'm sure that if the under 18s get up and running again I think the Knights are going to have another good year Can you tell us where the Falcons were at in preparation for season 2020 when Stop everything happened. Uh, well, where were we at? I guess we were still going through that stage of building a list. I think we we're a couple of days out from our first intra club match. We had to call that off. So that was that was probably 
at the time really disappointing because we had a few girls that were new to the club and some of the young girls coming through that they wanted that chance to, uh, I guess, play in a match situation. And whilst we've done a lot of match team drills, it's different when you're sort of putting people out there on the oval and just playing a game of footy. So that was a bit disappointing. But look, we were really, I guess, happy with the uh, with the, the level of training and the, the enthusiasm. Pardon me, the enthusiasm and the energy just just around the group. I think the feedback we had from, uh, like I said, players that were new to the club was that they were really. Um, they thought we had a really strong coaching group just in terms of the openness and their approachability. Uh, the girls that had returned to the club from the previous season were really excited for 2020. And yeah, just as we we're starting to gear up, we went to have our footy camp on the weekend just gone, but uh, that's happened now. So we're all just uh, making funny videos and you know what you do is uh, the COVID-19 challenges and everything else. So that's where we're at right now. What are you trying to do, at least remotely, to keep some semblance of um, a fitness program going and, in a way, education when it comes to game plan? Yeah, we've probably focused more on player engagement um, at the moment, I guess, just with the, uh, with the WhatsApp group and the Facebook group and just trying to do some fun stuff, you know, trying to keep people just engaged with the club and what's happening. Um, we've got an S&C coach uh, Todd Kenny, I mentioned before, he, he put together some training programs that you can do on your own with pretty much little or no equipment. So we've passed them out to the girls, and they've obviously got those to work on and you know, work on their running programs as well as doing as much as you can with the strength side of things, which is, which is really hard. It's not, I guess, in this period, it's not really about getting fitter or getting stronger, it's just maintaining what you built up over the preseason. I think that's kind of the expectation. I think we, in terms of game plan and, and uh, football education, we've kind of, at the moment, we haven't gone too deep into that. We, As a coaching group, we've got a game plan and a, and a structure in mind, and we're kind of building up to the uh, period where we start educating that, other than some basic fundamentals during training. We're starting to build up towards that um, with the practice match and the camp we had. That was going to be really critical to our, I guess, delivering of that game plan and structure, but... Yeah, again, we've sort of put everything on hold a little bit now. We don't want to overload people at the moment. We want to let people just try and uh, relax as much as they can through a pretty tense and, I guess, a time that for some people is quite anxiety-inducing, yeah. Let's talk about possible scenarios for when we could start. We know at the absolute minimum the season has been postponed until May 31. We know at some stage soon, uh, AFL Victoria, the AFL, everyone will get together, meet ahead to say, are we going ahead? We're postponing further, waiting upon government advice. Has there been any indications, unofficially or officially from the leagues, of when we do look like we could be going ahead, you're roughly going to have X weeks notice to try and at least get everyone up to some type of strength and conditioning and game plan before we run out there and go, here we are, premiership points on the line. Yeah, look, I, I haven't been given any sort of indication of the time frame. I think we're, we've made an assumption that it would probably be something along the lines of four, four weeks or so. Um, I think I read an article today that AFL suggested it could be a, a three-week turnaround once they make that decision. But look, yeah, we're, I think we're just sitting there going, we'll just do everything we can what we can control and that keeping people fit, keeping people engaged, keeping people happy as they can and keeping people wanting to play footy for Darwin and then 
you know, when when we do get that uh, call, if there's a if there's a date and it's, that's still ahead, then we'll ramp up really quickly and we've sort of told everyone to be ready. If we get a date, we're going to ramp up, we're going to train, you know, we might do additional nights, we'll do everything we possibly can to be ready. But I think we've also, we've also got to be realistic that there is the possibility that there won't be a season. So we don't want to, yeah, don't want to get everyone taped up too much. It's just kind of sit and wait and do a few quizzes and a uh, few games online at the moment. Have you planned for that? eventual scenario and I guess how to um, communicate with the players and where their mental headspace is going to be at if uh, this uh, virus continues on longer than expected and we're told that's it, 2020 is a write-off. Yeah, look, we, we had a meeting last week with all the players, so using Zoom as you do these days, um, just to talk about the possibilities and all the you know, possible scenarios and one of those is that we don't have a season and if that's the case, I think we feel that whilst we really want to play footy this year, if, if, if we're told that there's not going to be footy, then we embrace that and we go, right, let's, let's really have a big 2021 pre-season. So I think, you know, last season, last season I, I wasn't appointed until uh, maybe mid-November, so we maybe felt a little bit behind the eight ball. We're going to, you know, if things, if things don't go as we'd like this year, um, we've got a really good coaching group and a really good um team of staff involved with the VFLW program, if we can stick together and, and build towards next year, it gives us a chance to be more prepared than anyone will ever be for a football season, I think. And that's one thing we actually haven't touched on. Um, who is in your coaching group for what is going to be the planned or if we do have a 2020 season? Yeah, uh, our coaching group, so we've got um, obviously myself and then there's a senior assistant coach, Matt Scrivers. So uh, Matt was involved in football in Queensland for a long time and he did a bit of work with Brisbane Lions and uh, Falcons Suns I think as well and then he he joined the Darren Falcons I think mid, mid last year and sort of got involved with the VFLW program uh, then our line coaches um, we've got a really good group we've just got um, Roy I can't even pronounce his surname I'll be honest he's a a life member, a bit of a club legend who will be our backline coach. She was actually coaching the Masters last year. Uh, we've got Julia Chiara, who you may be familiar with. She's been around the Falcons for quite some time as well. She was involved with the VFLW program last year. Uh, we've got midfield coach and then Susan Cadman, who she's stepping up from doing some work with the NFNL last year to be our forwards coach. So it's kind of feel really good that we've got a group of people that are associated with the different levels of the club or the different parts of the club because um, it's a good little spread and then we've, like I mentioned before we've got Matt who's our development coach working with those girls trying to probably work from junior football or transition from NFNL into the NFLW program Matt Poltney and uh, Todd Kenny our S&C coach who's making everyone run laps and do 100s and 200s and, and weights and everything else so they're fit, strong and firing to play footy so that, that's our coaching group for the VFLW level um, yeah, really happy with it and hopefully we can all stick together and get some footy under our belt this season if not next season One question I obviously should ask even though it has been postponed now to 2021 uh, but considering your links back to London were there any plans to help the GB Swans uh, uh, when they were due to take part in the International Cup? Yeah, well I had a chat to uh, another Mitch, Ian Mitchell, who's um, obviously someone I know pretty well, who coaches GB, and we've, we've kind of spoken offline about doing some uh, training sessions together, but then 
we found out that the IC was uh, moved to the Sunshine Coast, wasn't it? So, yeah, it probably wasn't going to be a, any opportunity to do anything and on or um, with them directly, but obviously I was keeping a pretty keen eye on it, having coached a few of the England girls previously myself. And, yeah, it was a bit, from a personal point of view, a bit disappointing that it wasn't going to go ahead in Melbourne because obviously I wanted to go and watch them and see some of my old uh, friends as well in the boys' teams, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that that's been postponed. I think obviously the right decision was made there for them because people are booking flights and that sort of thing. You can't be sitting there waiting until four or five weeks in advance to make it a season. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Fingers crossed for you that at some stage sooner rather than later we're get the all clear and we're able to get a VFLW season underway for the Darabin Falcons. If not, let's just hope the year fly by as quickly so we can get stuck into it in 2021. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's only so many footy replays I can watch, so I can't wait for footy to come back. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. This program debuts every Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. And then is available a couple of hours later via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and at warfradio.com. Don't forget you can find us on social media Facebook, Instagram and Twitter just search for WARF Radio until next week I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now